The Commentary Booth is a show for media lovers by media lovers just like you. If you want to support the show, go to pariomagazine.com.au. Welcome to the Commentary Booth, where we watch, and you guessed it, commentate on the week that was in movies and TV. I'm your host and play-by-play commentator, Jamie Apps, and each week I'm joined by a rotating cast of colour commentators to help you find your next viewing treat. This week I'm joined by the creator and editor of Hear Us Scream and an all-round horror lover. Welcome to the show, Kat Benstead. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking forward to talking about this particular horror yeah, yeah, loose horror, I guess. Different type of horror. Yeah, very different, yeah. So before we dive into today's topic, Kat, can you tell us a little bit about your sort of favourite movies, favourite TV shows, and I guess your connection to The Last of Us as well? Okay, that's a really interesting question, the connection to. Um, so I watch a lot of horror, lots of TV Um, lots of movies. I'm more like a slasher body horror fan. So anything where there's lots of blood and guts and stupid limits of your body being pushed, then I'm here for it. However, what I'm not here for is uh, zombies. So um, (laughs) The Last of Us um, is kind of like a game that I've been putting off for a really long time. But uh, yeah, it's 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 been on my PlayStation loaded, ready to go. I've got like um, a PS5 now and, you know, like this 4K screen that I could be playing on and I'm still way too terrified to even touch it. So yeah, well, that's my connection to it. Yeah, especially now that we've we've got the was it the remake of the original as well. So you've got it in yeah. like the best possible version you can play at the moment. Yeah, I think it's a PS5, like, um, enhanced edition. I don't know what they call them. I should know these things. <laughs> There's the original, then there was the remaster, and then they one, yeah. remade it and called it Last of Us Part 1 to tie into Last yeah. of Us Part 2. Because there is Part 2, yes. Which I'd like to get into. You know, I did say to you um, before, like, when you asked me, I was like, oh, I'll play the game. And I've been playing... Um, Stray, where you play as like a little cat and you go on adventures and stuff. That's what I've been playing. Slightly different. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit more wholesome. (laughs) Yeah, so before we begin today's topic, we're going on a a new sort of diving into a new feature for the commentary booth. Typically, we do one new topic each week, but because this is such a monumental show that a lot of people have been waiting for, for the next nine weeks, we're going to be focusing on a single topic diving deep into each individual episode as they air. Uh, The topic that we're being infected by, HBO TV adaptation of The Last of Us. So I think it's it's cool to have you on the show and having not played the game because I've played all three versions of the game, which is a bit ridiculous. (laughs) And yeah, like I've played through Last of Us 1 three times. Last of Us 2, a full playthrough once, and I got about halfway again on a second playthrough. Wow. So I, I know this topic pretty well. Committed. <laughs> but then you have a different perspective. So I think the show is, it's going to be interesting to see how many people, the show is their introduction to it and then they go back and play the games or maybe the show is enough for you. So today is episode one, When You're Lost in the Darkness. 
Probably should introduce what The Last of Us is itself. It's a post-apocalyptic drama series written by Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann based on the 2013 PlayStation game of the same name, which was created by Druckmann and developed by Naughty Dog for PlayStation. In this, this series, we're set 20 years after modern civilization has been destroyed. Joel, who is a sort of hardened survivor slash smuggler, is hired to get 14-year-old girl Ellie out of the quarantine zone in Boston. And what we see starts as a small job, quite quickly becomes this epic journey all across the US, basically how they survive this crazy journey, where the world has been overrun by a cordyceps fungal infection, which turns people into violent zombie-esque beings. Yeah. So you hadn't played the game. What are you thinking of the casting so far with Pedro Pascal as Joel and Bella Ramsey as Ellie? I've played one hour, thank you very much, of The Last of Us before I... Okay, so you played the very heaviest part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, <laughs> my brain just went, you know what, I've, that's enough for me. I do really want to play it because so many people talk about it being this cinematic experience. But the the casting is fantastic. I'm a massive fan of Pedro Pascal. Um, loved him in Mandalorian. Uh, absolutely love him in Boba Fett. He's a brilliant actor. Um, and he just gives so much to the character of Joel. And I say that as someone who doesn't really know that much about Joel, but have gotten glimpses of Joel through other people's experiences playing him. And so that's like my, you know, six degrees of separation. Like, oh, Joel is this guy because so-and-so on Twitter, you know, talked about him this way. And so it kind of feels like they really hit the nail on the head with casting Pedro Pascal. With Bella Ramsey, um, I, I'm i really interested to see how she develops as Ellie because I don't know too much about the character of Ellie. Okay. Yeah, I was initially not sold on either of them. Fair. But very quickly, they they've hooked me in and... Now it's kind of hard to see anyone other than Bella Ramsey playing Ellie. I, yeah. I'm just, I don't know how I'm going to go because I don't know. Like with Joel, it just smack bam, it was a th- sold. Yep. I'm sold on straight away. So yeah, definitely going to have to, like Bella is uh, fantastic. She's a fantastic actress, but because I'm not too um, versed, you know, a bit of a noob when it comes to The Last of Us. So we'll have to see how she, she goes. But the rest of the cast is so far, really, really fantastic. And I was looking at some of the interesting tidbits about the, the two main actors. Apparently, Pedro is getting $600,000 per episode for this show. Jeez. Which is a nice little payday. Make him one of the highest paid American television stars, apparently. So that's... Fantastic. Great little payday for him. What's that? 600000 over nine episodes. Not bad. It's going to be pretty nice payday. <laughs> uh, and apparently, he was a non-gamer. Uh, so he hadn't played much of the game like yourself. So he kind of watched little bits and pieces, but tried to keep a healthy distance and just sort of let the showrunners guide him. And I think that has paid off with his performance. Uh, and some of the other actors that were initially considered were Hugh Jackman, Michael Fassbender, John Bernthal, Gerard Butler, Josh Brolin, John Hamm, David Harbour. Keanu Reeves, even, which is very weird. He's in his own video game. <laughs> Chris Hemsworth, probably just for name value. Yeah. Harrison Ford, way too old. Mm, way too old. Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton. 
Now, when you throw all those names out there, when you see Pedro Pascal in those opening scenes with his daughter, Sarah, you know that he's, that's it. He is the only person who should be playing this role. Yeah, out of those names, I think the only other one that I would have been okay with would have been Hugh Jackman if he played yeah, maybe. very similar to like the Logan role. Yeah. Other than that, yeah. I could not see Keanu Reeves running around as Joel. That would have been very strange. It would have been weird. And also, like, when you see um, screenshots of Joel from the video game, they are quite similar, like, visually. Like, the way they stand and the way that they um, speak and even just their, like, facial features are quite similar. So I think they did a great job casting Pascal in the role. After the episode aired today, I saw a side-by-side of the, the really heavy scene with Sarah and yet when it flashes back between the two Joels, I was like, well, wow, they actually are very, very close. Yeah, that opening scene, I was like, oh, I forgot this happens. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks for the reminder. <laughs> uh, and then Bella Ramsey, I thought she's done a great job of giving us, like, the feisty but funny Ellie as well. Very headstrong, which is pretty much exactly what her character in the game is. It's kind of like this naive girl that doesn't really know the world outside of the quarantine zone so every little thing she learns is like exciting but then she also forgets that there's these crazy zombies out there trying to kill everyone yeah i um she is very in your face and i, I like that you know the angsty teen doesn't go away when you go into a quarantine zone i guess mm-hmm. yeah like i guess the moment we're introduced to her in the series when she's asked to count to 10 <laughs> 7 8 fuck you He's like, okay, well, okay, we're right, right there. Ellie's, Ellie's the way she's supposed to be. Well done. She's fine. I'll have to play so I can get to know her character. Yep. Because I do, I do want, um, everyone loves us so much, so need to dive into it. I was looking at sort of her stuff as well. She was aware of the game before she auditioned, but hadn't played it. And she was encouraged not to play it so that she didn't kind of replicate Ashley Birch's performance. So she watched a couple of YouTube videos to get a sense for the game, and then that was it. Other actors considered for this role were Maisie Williams, Elle Fanning, McKenna Grace, uh, Defoe Keen from Logan, and Caitlin Deva. Um, like I said, after watching this, I can't see anybody else other than Bella Ramsey playing this role. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, the other actresses, are, yeah, I don't know. Maybe Maisie Williams, that'd be about it. <laughs> yeah, but then we would just get the constant Game of Thrones comparisons, which... I guess we got a little bit with Bella, but nowhere near as much as I think we would have got if we got a lead actor from that show. Yeah, crossover hell, right? (laughs) So then on to sort of the, as the show opened, what did you think of that opening sequence with the 60s talk show with the two scientists? I actually found that quite satirical in the sense that it's something we're facing now, like these people, you know, giving up all this information about things and hypothetical situations, and it's like, oh, crap, we've all just lived through three years of a pandemic, Mm -hmm. and this is what they're talking about. And so it kind of, it was funny to watch these talking heads, you know, um, coming up with all these different concepts of what would be the be-all, end-all for human, like for mankind, if it did happen. And the fact that he did discuss this fungus, um, and, you know, once we go more into the the episode, we do find out that it, you know, is a parasitic fungus that takes over bodies. And this is what this 60s 
doctor was like scientist was discussing it's kind of like oh well he basically plotted it out for you all yeah it was it was well done it was really well done yeah i think it sets the tone really well where it kind of it does a great job of introducing the cordyceps without like driving crazy scientific terms at you it's told in a very what you would expect on a talk show layman's terms yeah and the audience all sitting absolutely in silence <laughs> i was like oh that's yeah this is now and it, it was kind of like a cool commentary like mock not mocking but um yeah but just satiri- satir- satir- i can't say the word satirizing thank you <laughs> um like our current situation that you know we've all lived through at the moment yeah, I think this is coming out at the perfect time for this series. Yeah. Ten years after the original game and right after a crazy pandemic. So Yeah. <laughs> very well done. And also that introduction kind of introduces the idea of perhaps global warming is responsible for this whole situation as well, where fungus yeah. has had to adapt to live in higher temperatures and then that's what makes it be able to live inside humans. Yeah, a little bit creepy, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you're like, uh, Neil, why did you have to freak me out 10 years ago and now why are you freaking me out even more with this show? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Just re-traumatizing you, thanks. Mm-hmm. And then we got the opening credits. What did you think of how they were designed with the kind of fungal spread leading up to the title card? Look, it was a classic HBO series title opening. Like, I wouldn't expect anything less than something pretty interesting um, with lots of nods to different parts of the series and um, the, you know, it kind of shows like these interesting um, connections that we eventually put together, you know, like um, Game of Thrones have done it. They did it with um, The Walking Dead. They did it with, um, I've got the series in my head. Um, Westworld? Westworld, yeah. Westworld and how they have these really intricate openers that, um, yeah, eventually by the last episode, it all makes sense. Yeah, I didn't think this one was quite as compelling as the Game of Thrones one, which like showed you the map and changed every episode. Yeah. This one was interesting, but it's not one where I'm going to be like desperate to watch it every week to try and work out where we are in the settings and get that sort of info. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> but it, it's also no surprise that it did give you those Game of Thrones Westworld vibes because it was made by the company Elastic. We made the Game of Thrones ah. and Westworld openers. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, and then we had the opening part of the game and the show, which is a very heavy 30 to 35 minute cold open, essentially. Oh, yeah. It was a bit intense. I do like that they gave us a little bit of insight and more insight into the lives of Joel and Sarah prior to... Uh, the event, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll get to. But um, I really like the Adlers and I like, you know, the banter between daughter and son, uh, da- daughter and father. Um, it was really cool to, like, kind of have that. But without the heartbreak, it would have been great, but then it wouldn't be The Last of Us, would it? No, it's all about the heartbreak in The Last of Us throughout the series. I did like it. yet, yeah, like you said, they gave us more info on their life pre-outbreak because it gives you a stronger connection to Sarah, which then makes that heartbreaking moment way more powerful. Like it was already incredibly powerful in the game. Yeah. But then I think because we get to spend those 15, 20 minutes with Sarah, just mundane cooking breakfast, going to school, getting her dad's watch fixed by stealing it and stealing his money to fix his own watch, (laughs) which was very good. Such a typical daughter thing to do. 
And then I promise not to fall asleep. How could I fall asleep watching this movie two seconds later? Out cold. Out. <laughs> it was great. It was really, um, like you said, it built that connection and that appreciation for their relationship. So um, when we do lose Sarah, it yeah, the, the shock was... And, like, I knew it was coming, mm -hmm. but I didn't know it was coming the way that it did. So Yeah. Because it is different to the game. Slightly. It's, that scene. it's, it's yeah. quite close right up until then. Um, yeah, I wasn't expecting it that quick. <laughs> yeah. We get the, the drive with the house on fire, the uh, other family with their kids stuck on the road and Joel refuses to stop. Uh, nope. Even, like... The, when they get into the town and they're turning corners and just scrambling to try and get out of there and get stuck and have to chuck it in reverse. It was, it was so similar to the game. I was like, oh, wow, this is yeah. legitimately terrifying. And even the way it was shot, where it was kind of from Sarah's perspective in the back of the, the truck was like, oh, yes, this is the game. It even felt like a video game, the uh, cinematography of that scene. There was, you know, um, the dialogue from uh, Tommy coming through where he's like, no, drive this way, go that way. And it's kind of like when you're doing that and you're driving a vehicle in a game, you have that exact same commentary, you know, s telling you where to go, what you need to do. And from Sarah's POV and looking in the front of the windscreen, I was like, this is like sitting in a video game. Mm -hmm. This is, it was insanely well done. I also liked that they gave a reason for Joel not to be there when Sarah wakes up as well. Yeah. Where in the game, we're kind of just with Sarah and Joel's not there. She's just home alone. You have no idea why. But this, they expanded on that lore and gave us a reason he had to go and bail Tommy out of jail after he got into a fight, which I assume was with one of the early infected. Yeah, the way that he described it definitely sounds like it was uh, part of the uh, the outbreak. And then we get Sarah encountering her first infected as well. The Adlers. <laughs> I loved that scene where she's picking the DVD and we see the, the grandmother in the background, like oh. starting to twitch and turn, but not be able to get up just yet. And then later we see her running around like it's nothing, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, that scene um, definitely tickled my horror bone because I was like, mm, no, I'm out. There's gonna, there's zombies. I'm out of here. <laughs> but um, I definitely, I stuck around because, you know, got to find out what happens, right? And I loved that the dog was picking up on there's something wrong with this old lady. And that that's always scary as well. That yeah. Animals kind of sense things before humans do. I thought I might need to do a, does, it, does, uh, does the dog die in this? Because I was just like, no, no. I can't, can't do this scene right now. If Mercy's going to get killed, I'm out. Yeah, well, they, they do leave that open. We kind of, Mercy bolts and we never see her again, so. See you later. She's safe, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. And I love that this show didn't rely on, like there are a lot of nods to the game and a lot of scenes recreated, like we said, almost shot for shot from the game. But it doesn't rely on like in-your-face Easter eggs as well, like. We get a, a scene where there's like a curtain blowing in the wind or there's dust drifting in the sunlight, which is like a reference to the, the menu screens of the game. But unless you have played the game, it's not like that's, that's a weird little thing to chuck in there. It's a, nice, it's a nice nod though. And having Druckmann work on it, he has clearly put in so much attention to detail to those fans that um, really love The Last of Us, who will go and they'll be able to sit there and really, um, you know, hone in on the little nods that he's given to them as fans. 
like we said, we've we've just come out of a pandemic ourselves, but they've changed the law a little bit here, which leading into this episode was the, the talk of the internet of people being like, why are they getting rid of the spores? Why are they introducing these like tendril strands things that we see coming out of the old lady's mouth? What did you think of that change? Because I knew that it was spores to begin with um, because I went to a Christmas party for PlayStation one year and uh, there were lots of the, it was actually the PlayStation 20th anniversary party and there was lots of The Last of Us stuff everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so I was asking the PR person like, what's this and what's that and what's this and what does this do? And so he was explaining all this stuff to me so that, you know, I had a general gist of what was going on. And um, the fact that they've kind of put in these tendrils instead definitely leans more into like a horror element, kind of gives me the thing, um, the void, if you've seen the void, um, where there's these uh, creatures that come out of human bodies um, trying to get into other human bodies. And I think that that really, um, you know, builds heavier on this human connection thing where... um, the parasite or the fungus needs to move from one you know host to another to keep on surviving and um it's just a really cool concept that they've gone with more of a yeah that horror uh tendrils and uh, i'm trying to think of other movies that do similar things but um yeah it definitely increases like the creepiness as well because um yeah the way that they look um in the scene where one of the infected is chasing Joel while he's carrying Sarah and how he's running and these these things coming out of his mouth and like that's far more scary than like spores coming out of his mouth. Yeah, it definitely gives you a much more like icky yuck vibe when like yeah. especially when the old lady opens her mouth and they start like squirming out like worms. It's like, oh that's gross. Yeah. But it also allows them to not have to cover Bella and Pedro's face in a gas mask for 60% of the game as well, which I think is good. Yeah, an entire video, (laughs) an entire TV series. Yeah. I was initially hesitant about that change as well, but I think it pays off and works much better for the game, uh, the show. Yeah. We did mention that like you like the, the body horror stuff and gore factor. Thankfully, this show doesn't have too much of that except for when they show Marlene's friend with the missing ear I think that was like the glorious part oh that's a bit gross yeah it's very bloody because there is lots of uh stabbing and biting and um so like my my blood satisfactory level is you know 10 out of 10 like they did they did a pretty good job it's realistic um her missing her ear is gross I have a real big thing for like Uh, body parts being bitten off like it grosses me out um i recently went and saw megan and there's a scene where she like pulls this kid's ear off his face and i was just like oh no it did me in i was like nah so um yeah i think they've done a really great job i don't know who their production team is for um special effects and whatnot but i'm sure they're very very skilled at what they do based on the stuff that we've seen so far Mm -hmm. So after the outbreak, we then jump forward 20 years and instead of immediately jumping to Joel or Ellie, we jump to another random kid just walking through the the scrub and the bush towards Boston, trying to get into the the quarantine zone. What did you think of that scene as well? (sighs) I can't believe that they would just do that. 
Yeah, they, they hit you with heavy after heavy immediately from the outset. Oh, constantly. It's just like, you think this kid has found, you know, this um, place of safety and he's going to be just fine. And, oh, no, wrong. All wrong. And um, the fact that it feels like Fedra and its agents are just so um, desensitised to killing people that they're just like, oh, we're going to strap you in here and do you know what we're going to do after this? We're going to go get you uh, your favourite food and all the toys you could possibly imagine. And um, then they kill him. And then that in contrast to what the quarantine zone actually looks like in what she's telling him it's like is, uh, yeah, very interesting that they kind of like tried to soften the blow with him a little bit. <laughs> yeah, they're very sneaky on like not telling you what they're really doing where it introduces the the testing scanners, which flash red or green, which I thought was a really cool way to do that, which is another big change from the game. Uh, in the game, we learn that through playing as Joel, walking through the, the quarantine zone, and we see a group of people off to the side being tested. Someone tests positive and immediately gets shot in the street. Oh, Jesus. Whereas this way is a little bit more clandestine, where they're testing this kid. They tell him, uh, we've, we've strapped you in because we don't want you falling out of the wheelchair. We're just going to do this little prick on your neck and then we're going to give you some medicine. You're going to be fine. You get toys and food and Off you go. the medicine is actually killing this poor kid. And yeah. immediately then we jump over, we finally jump over to Joel again and see him 20 years later and he's tasked with burning the bodies. And of the infected, yeah. Very heavy. To, this guy's just lost his daughter. Well, just lost his daughter 20 years ago lost his daughter and now he's he's desensitized as well he's just burning children like it's nothing yeah and it's kind of like it's kind of weird because you see this horrible system they have set up where you've got to have a certain amount of cards to buy things and there's like a barter system by the looks of it and it feels very dystopian mm -hmm. in, in that sense um but you can see already that the government um, has removed a lot of autonomy and democracy already in this quarantine zone, which is where we see, you know, the Fireflies who are unsettled and, you know, rebelling against this uh, dictatorship that they have, that's been established within the quarantine zone. Yeah, it gives us that nice contrast with Fedra. Like, they're clearly trying to sort of keep sanity and some sort, sort of normality in this zone, but they've also kind of taken it, taken it to the extreme where... Yeah. It's very militarized and you do as you're told or you don't get food, essentially. Um, yeah, and the fact that Bella was also at the military school, um, it, there were other kids there. That These kids are groomed into the military. Uh, where are we? Mm -hmm. So um, I think they've taken lots of uh, elements from different parts of history and, and um, you know, even if Neil Druckmann did do this in the video game, which I guess I will find out, um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting how they've implemented different things that we know exist out there in history and in, you know, current times. And another thing I noticed as we're, as we're moving through the quarantine zone, did you spot the two sort of amputees like sitting there pointing at things as well? Yeah. That made me question, perhaps did those two amputees like get bitten on the lower extremities? Cause we see the sign that says it takes this much time for people to to turn fully yeah it makes me think did these people like get bit on their like foot or wrist or something and immediately like cut their own arms or and legs off to perhaps prevent turning 
Yeah, possibly. And I mean, it, they've done that in zombie movies before where, you know, the rules are that you can cut something off. <laughs> um, Ash did it in The Evil Dead. He cut his hand off. Not that that did anything good for him, but... It, yeah, it just made me question, like, hmm, maybe Fedra have taken it to the extreme where as soon as somebody tests positive, they just kill them when yeah. maybe if it's on an extremity, you could just cut the person's leg off at the knee and they'd be okay. But then that's also another mouth for them to feed. Yeah. And because they're crippled, they probably can't work, so they can't earn their ration cards. So. Yeah, because there was quite a few also like with hand um, deformities and stuff. So I'm, are they, that's the amputee you're talking <laughs> about, the one that he had um, two hands that were... Um, it just looked like he had two thumbs. So I'm assuming he cut his hand off. Yeah. Uh, which I would do. Yeah. I would do if that was me. If I got bit on the foot, I'd, I'd be trying. <laughs> At least. I'll do whatever it takes. Take the leg off and hope and then see how it goes from there. <laughs> when we do finally get Joel and Ellie together, I love that they have that immediate sort of antagonistic relationship where Ellie, the first encounter with them is she's tackling him through a door and swearing <laughs> at him and. I thought that was very well done. It's really brilliant uh, the way that they've established the dynamic between the two of them. Because obviously she is still a teenager. She um, still, you know, hormones and um, animosity and, you know, being a, a teenager. <laughs> but um, I love how he's standing on her knife and all she can do, eyes on the knife. She doesn't care about anything else. She wants that knife back and he's... Yeah, just that um, exchange between the two of them, um, it really does establish uh, how uh, interesting their journey across the States is going to be. Yeah, I think it's been intentionally sort of worked that way where they are immediately adversaries. Yeah. So then as the show progresses and the, the story progresses, them coming together feels much more powerful and earned. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to, to seeing how... Um, yeah, that, that uh, yeah, antagonistic dynamic continues because it's, it's quite funny. Yeah, like they, they go from being very angry, hostile towards each other and then we sort of start to merge more towards a father-daughter bond as yeah. Ellie becomes his sort of surrogate daughter in place of Sarah, which again is another really deep story arc for Joel having lost his only child 20 years prior. Yeah, I feel like I'm probably, look, I cried when Sarah died. I'm going to cry when him and Ellie, uh, you know, their relationship deepens. Um, so let's, I'm just, I'm sold. <laughs> and then the show ends with them escaping the, the quarantine zone, which again had another little nod to the game, where when you escape the quarantine zone in the game, you have to go under the school bus and then through a tunnel, which they do in the show, which I thought was really cool. I got up to that bit in the game. <laughs> I got pretty far. Okay, so you got you got you got a bit further than I expected. Yeah. <laughs> and then we end with the '80s song "Never Let Me Down Again" by Depeche Mode, playing over the radio, which is as Ellie came to know, an '80s song is bad bad news. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that they um, brought that in as a nod to what Ellie said about you know '80s music. But um, the entire soundtrack that they use throughout is really brilliant from the actual composition of the soundtrack to additional songs they put in. Like at the start when Sarah's cooking breakfast, she's playing um, a song by Avril Lavigne, which was very 2003, mm -hmm. like perfect placement. 
Yeah, especially for teen girl in that time. Yeah, absolutely. On that that soundtrack part, I'm glad they brought in Gustavo Santaolala, who was the composer of the game as well. So oh, wow. they have Neil guiding the, the show. Then they got in the original composer, so it has that same feel to the, the soundtrack as well, which I thought I think is important because the, the music in the game is a big part on setting the emotion and the tone. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big sucker for soundtracks, um, so I do actually listen to the Last of Us soundtrack. That's a depressing soundtrack. Don't play the game, but I like I like the soundtrack. Oh, I'm an ex-classical musician, so this kind of stuff I absolutely adore. Okay, that makes sense. And then we finally, as the show ends on the end credits, we finally get a PlayStation and Naughty Dog logo on the final splash screen, which I thought was interesting because in the lead up to this, they were kind of doing everything in their power to avoid promoting this as a game, <laughs> a game adaptation. They were kind of just like from the creators of Chernobyl yeah, and this hit game. And it was like, they never like blatantly said PlayStation or Naughty Dog or anything in the, the pre-marketing. And then we finally get one at the, the final splash screen. Yeah. I think, um, you know, having Neil Druckmann attached to the project is so incredibly important for both PlayStation and Naughty Dog. And um, even though, you know, Craig Mazin had worked on Chernobyl, um, this it, this entire series wouldn't even exist without Druckmann. Mm. So it's uh, maybe it was just a process of let's see if it takes off or not and then we'll we'll uh, we'll co-promote it. Let's go. Yeah, I imagine they they avoided that sort of game marketing tie-in purely because of like yeah. the stigma of game adaptations to TV or movies uh, yeah. from recent years. There's been some pretty dodgy ones. Oh, uh, yeah. We've just had that Resident Evil TV series How bad that came was out that? that I will not watch. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was not good. I mean, I have a few friends that really enjoyed it, and I was like, okay, cool. Uh, after, like, working on Resident Evil on the video games and stuff, I don't think I could do it a disservice and watch it. Yeah. I think, like, it was a entertaining show but i don't think it needed to be a resident evil show ah so it could have been something totally else it could have just been generic zombies oh okay fair enough yeah <laughs> but then we had like the witcher which has been incredibly successful the cyberpunk edge runners but then that's animated yeah the uncharted movie was entertaining i still need to watch that but also weird and wacky yeah it's got tom holland in it what do you expect <laughs> it's gonna be weird yeah, the problem with that one was the casting was bad, unlike this show where the casting is phenomenal. And they, instead of just sticking to like one game where this show sticks to just The Last of Us Part 1, the Uncharted movie kind of pulls bits and pieces from all of the games and randomly jumbles them together. I was like, oh, no. They could have just focused on one. Th that's a movie in itself. <laughs> one straight story. That's all we need. We don't need bits and pieces from all. Oh, gosh. No, this was definitely um, an incredible pickup by HBO. They um, definitely made the right decision in this yep. one. It's a fantastic first outing, I think, and eight more episodes to go should be very good. I did read some random trivia. This is the largest television production in Canadian history. Wow. Filmed in Alberta, Canada from July 2021 until June of last year. They expect it to generate over 200 million Canadian dollars for the province of Alberta, which is pretty wild. That's a lot of money. Amazing. 
Yeah, it's really cool. Some of the um, uh, like incentives and stuff that they have for productions going overseas, like Australia has some of its own. Um, I know that Canada has quite a few. I had a friend who went and filmed uh, uh, one of her movies in Canada during the pandemic. So um, yeah, there's a lot of good reasons to go and film in Canada. And then the budget for this show is uh, allegedly between 10 and $15 million per episode. And I think that is showing in the quality of absolutely the CG that we see with the the infected, um, the the set design, set dressing, and everything it looks phenomenal. Yeah. But then six hundred thousand dollars of that is going to Pedro every every episode as well. So <laughs> that's not that much when you on the grand in the grand scheme of things. When you when you look at fifteen million dollars, yeah, <laughs> that budget is higher than the first five seasons of Game of Thrones. So they, they never had that higher budget from the beginning. So I think that shows that HBO, uh, PlayStation have a lot of faith in this show to exceed expectations and blow the, the TV world up. <laughs> Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Get more video games in TV. I, mean, I don't want to speak too soon. <laughs> well, so I can say that I've seen the whole season. <sighs> so... Yeah, you're in for a very fun ride. <laughs> this this first episode is Good. an indication of how how the show goes, and it's phenomenal right throughout. Fantastic. In terms of your rating for this debut episode of The Last of Us, what would you give this one out of five? Oh, absolutely five. Um, it was a cinematic experience, the same as what everyone says the game was. It was went for an hour and twenty, just un just under. Um, I did have to pause it because I had to go change my car tire, but <laughs> I came back and got straight back into it. Uh, and I have a really hard time concentrating on movies and TV shows because it has to suck me in. Otherwise, I'm on my phone playing like Candy Crush <laughs> or something. But I managed to put my phone down for the entire episode. So that deserves a five. Yeah, yeah I, I give this one a five as well. I thought it was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, that length is apparently a byproduct of. The series as a whole was originally going to be 10 episodes, but then they cut this first episode from the first two and condensed it into one. Oh, okay. Not quite movie-length episode, but yeah. I think that works better for the, the whole flow of the episode because we get, if it had been two 40-minute episodes, we kind of really only would have got to the Sarah death and stopped there and it would have been... Yeah. You wouldn't have got the whole QZ. Yeah the actual world of The Last of Us if we'd stopped at that point. Which is really important for, yeah, that foundational um, setup for people who haven't played The Last of Us. Yeah, I think if they hadn't shown that, a lot of people might have not gone back for season, for episode two. So Oh, absolutely. I think to condense this down into an hour 20, which is still quite long, but I think it's it works much better for the flow of the series and guides people towards it more. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's The Last of Us, episode one, When You're Lost in the Darkness. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the commentary booth. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on podcast services and on YouTube. You can follow Kat on Instagram at cat.tgif or on her horror website, hearascream.com. What can people expect to see over there in the next few weeks? Oh, gosh. Um, we've just had our first author announcement because this year we started the Hear Us Scream Press. So we're a small, independently run uh, horror book 
publishing company now. So, uh, yeah, we, we're about to announce our second author this week. So two very uh, popular and brilliant names in horror. So looking forward to doing that. And after that, um, just reviews, editorials, got quite a few new writers coming on board, which is exciting. Uh, but yeah, that's just the, the usual from us. Fantastic. Any sort of exciting movies that you're looking forward to in the horror realm this year? Oh gosh, um, I just went and saw Megan. Um, it was so freaking funny. Everyone, go and see it. Even if you're not a horror fan, go and watch it. It is so much fun. Uh, but I'm looking forward to the cabin, uh, the cabin in the woods, which is actually an adaptation of Paul Tremblay's The Cabin at the End of the World. Um, it stars David Bautista. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for that one. That one looks good. So um, I love him. <laughs> And it's M. Night Shyamalan. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And then I'm not too sure. Um, some indie films. I'm looking forward to covering Sundance uh, Film Festival, which is coming up, and Glasgow Fright Fest. So we'll be doing that this month and next month. Nice. Very busy between all of that and then the book publishing as well. And going back to work next week. Jeez. Um, <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Thanks. So, yeah, then you can follow me on social media at Media and at Perio Magazine. Thank you for jumping on, Kat, and good luck with everything this year. I appreciate it. The Commentary Booth is a fan-funded production of Jamie Apps Media. You can support the podcast alongside our magazine, Pario Magazine, on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Media. The following people supported at the community support group level or higher, and you cannot fathom how incredibly appreciative we are for their support. Brian and June Hart, Blake Robinson, Rena Renee, Courtney Paulson, Darren Hatcliffe, Jackson Carr, and Tracy Apps.